Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will thus see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing round them, this fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept.
very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the man you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You might like to have that open in front of you, uh, which is page 1021. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 there, starting at verse 53. Let's pray and ask God to help us, shall we, as we begin this evening. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these are amazing things we read about that happened. Amazing things that Jesus went through. And Father, we pray, please, for the work of your Spirit now in each of us, that you would bring these things to life, that you would make your word powerful and meaningful to us now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, it's lovely to be with you this evening. Thanks. Uh, we have at our church building a sign outside. We'll stick it up on the screen now. And the sign says, a church for people who don't do church. And the idea is that we are there to welcome people who feel far from God, people who have no Christian background or people who maybe once did have, did have a Christian background and have maybe moved away from it, that kind of thing. And we have many people actually who come on a Sunday who say to me, I came because of your sign. And we had just a couple last week actually who did that? We've even had these um, business cards. I've got a picture of them. 
printed as well that say a church for people who don't do church on. So the idea is you're talking to someone and maybe you get the conversation on to, oh, you know, uh, do you have a sort of church background at all? And they might say no. Or they might say, oh, yes, I did one day, but I'm not anymore. You're like, aha, I've got a church for you. Uh, it's a church for people who don't do church. Um, that kind of thing. It's great, right? So we, we had a few thousand printed. And I noticed um, quite a few of them were, print, were, were cut a bit kind of not quite straight. So I phoned the printer. I was like, great, I'm going to get a discount. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Can I get a refund, please? They said, no. Uh, we'll send you a few thousand more. So we've got 7,000 of these things now. I'm not quite sure. It might take you know, a decade to get through them or something. Anyway, it's good, right? A, people, a church people who don't do church. Thing is, do we believe that is who church is for? Do we believe that? Very possibly, you came here tonight, actually, and you felt kind of nerves in your stomach. And you kind of had to brace yourself to come into the building. And you felt you could barely kind of look people in the eye as you did. We can really feel like we don't fit in, can't we? Because we know what we're like. We know we are such a failure. And we just don't feel like we can be in Jesus's kingdom. Well, we're going to see this evening that we really can. It's wonderful. But I think it's also very possible that maybe we used to be a bit like that. But now we feel we should have moved on. We should be a sorted person now. And sometimes we actually think we are. And so when that illusion gets shattered, when we notice our unrighteous anger, when we notice our lust, we notice our greed, when we notice how prone we are just to being selfish, we're shocked, aren't we? We feel utterly broken. We wonder, how could I ever be in Jesus' kingdom? We're going to see tonight. We can be. We're going to see three things, and we'll stick them on the screen. We're going to see the king is faithful. We're going to see kingdom people are failures. But we're going to see wonderfully the king died in place of failures. So let's dive in. The king is faithful. We're on uh, page 1021, chapter 14, verse 53, and it's dark, and it's chilly as Jerusalem sleeps. It's nighttime. But that quiet and that darkness is broken as there are hurried footsteps, and there are the clanking of swords, because Jesus is being brought to the high priest's house by torchlight. Jesus had been arrested, hadn't he? And he'd said to his disciples, you will all fall away. But look, Who's coming in verse 54? Peter is actually there, isn't he? He's coming right into the courtyard. Now, I guess this would be like a a kind of small Oxford college. You know, you go through the kind of gate thing and the porter's lodge is there and you're in the courtyard, that kind of thing, like a small one of those. Now, when I walk into an Oxford college, like Christchurch College or something, I feel pretty out of place myself. But but not Peter. He, He belongs, doesn't he? He's one of them by the fire, with the guards. And so at this point in Mark's gospel, we're kind of thinking, well, that's who the kingdom is for, isn't it? It's for success stories, like Peter. There he is, following. 
But of course, that's not where it stops. Because Mark then changes tack completely. A little bit of Peter, then something else, then a bit more Peter. Mark loves a sandwich. You've got Peter as the bread. Peter. Peter. And in the middle, you've got some filling. And it's the filling in the middle of the sandwich that helps you understand what we are to know about Peter and actually about us too. And what we're going to see is that the king, Jesus, is faithful. So you can imagine Jesus is in the upstairs room and it's a pretty sinister time for a trial, isn't it, at night? Pretty unusual time for a trial. Maybe there are oil lamps burning and the, the shadows are kind of dancing on the faces of these, of these men sneering at Jesus. Loads of them. Multiple chief priests, elders, teachers of the law crowding around Jesus. And maybe it kind of feels like, you know, at school when you have the gang who kind of corner the weak kid and they're taunting him. That's what's going on here. And we see in verse 55, they've already decided what they want to happen. They've got their verdict already. They want Jesus put to death. They're just trying to find an excuse and they're trying to make it happen. And so they've got these false witnesses we see in verse 56. Now, this is totally against the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Do not give false testimony. So who's guilty here? It's not Jesus, is it? It's those who are trying him. And even that doesn't work. They can't find anything against Jesus, even when they are rigging it. Now, that is incredible. Here is the one man in history who is not guilty of any wrongdoing, any wrong speaking, any wrong thinking, none. Now, you and I can't even go a day without those things, without sin. It is, it is against God. It is, it is horrendous to God. We are unfaithful, but the King, Jesus, he is faithful. And we're going to see that he is faithful for you and for me, actually. That, that, that's why this matters. Well, at last, they, they think they've got something. Uh, so, verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll rebuild another not made with hands. Yet, even then, their testimony did not agree. So, so they're close, aren't they? They're close. Jesus did say, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. That's in John chapter 2. But he never said he would destroy it, did he? And John actually uh, comments and, and tells us that Jesus meant that he is the temple. He is where you meet God on earth at that time. If you destroy Jesus, he will rise again on the third day. And it's so ironic the thing that they are trying to condemn Jesus for is actually the very thing he is willing to do for those who condemn him. He is willing to die and rise again for them, for us. The king is faithful. Well, by now, they're pretty exhausted. It's the early hours. I wonder if you feel pretty exhausted right now, actually. Maybe you were up really early. Maybe you weren't. I was, but anyway, maybe you weren't. Uh, the clock changed, right? It's quite confusing. Anyway, they're pretty tired by this point. Early hours of the morning. And the, the high priest, he loses patience. And he demands an answer in verse 60. 
And I'm so struck by how Jesus just stays silent. He doesn't need to answer, does he? These, these guilty lawbreakers, they've got no right to try him. He doesn't need to answer. So, so he doesn't. I, I find I'm so quick to be defensive when I feel unjustly criticized. But not Jesus. The king is faithful. And he did it for you and for me. Well, we see in verse middle, middle of verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now, Jesus could, stay, could say nothing here as well, couldn't he? He could stay silent here as well. Of course he could. And, and they'd have nothing to pin on him, would they? They've got nothing. But he doesn't. Verse 62. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus says, yes, he is even though he knows that will condemn him. He says it anyway. He is faithful, and he's faithful for you and for me. And he goes even further than that. He says, you'll see him at God's right hand, like it says in Psalm 110. Now that is about David's Lord, that psalm. David's Lord, the Lord. Jesus is the Lord, God himself. And he says, you'll see him coming on the clouds of heaven, like Daniel 7 says in the Old Testament. Now that is written about the ruler who will be given all authority over everything forever. And he seems like a divine figure in Daniel 7. He seems like God himself. Well, he is God the Son. That's Jesus. And the high priest gets it. And he tears his clothes, calling blasphemy. How incredibly faithful is Jesus to do this? When you think about it, all those Old Testament references he's alluding to mean that he is the judge. And he will judge one day. And yet, and yet he lets unjust judges find him guilty and condemn him. He is faithful. He's faithful for you and for me. He may look weak in that upstairs room, encircled by all those powerful men, but actually, he is in total control. He's actually doing what God, God's suffering king always promised would be done, actually. So let's have a look at Isaiah on the screen, Isaiah chapter 50, and we see this. This is what Isaiah predicted would happen to God's suffering king. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And that's exactly what he does over the page in verse 65. He allows them to be, he allows them to spit at him, to blindfold him, to beat him. That is what the glorious Son of God does. He leaves behind the glory of heaven and he's faithful all the way down to this. He's so faithful for you and for me. Why? Why would he go through all of that? In the, uh, in the earthquake in Turkey and Syria recently, there are many harrowing stories and, and some really amazing stories of, of parents and adults kind of shielding children as the buildings collapsed. 
and I saw a really harrowing video online. I kind of wish I hadn't seen it, to be honest. As they kind of, they pull out this body of this man, and he, he's totally limp and lifeless. It looks so unnaturally. They pull him out, and then beneath him, they see another body. It's a, it's a boy, and they pull that one out kind of roughly, kind of thinking, well, obviously he's dead too. But as they pull him out, he starts to move. And this little boy is alive because his father has shielded him as the buildings collapsed on him. And it's so, it's so moving, isn't it? And it's so emotive when we see sacrificial love. And the reason it's so emotive is because that is what God's love is. It is sacrificial. That is what Jesus' love is. That is the love that brought him to do this for you and for me. And he's spoken about it already in Mark's gospel. We'll put it up on the screen in chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was giving his life as a ransom for many. But who are they? Who, who are the many? Are they this kind of spiritual successes like Peter? Are they the people making the grade who are, who are, you know, as much like Jesus as possible? Well, we've already seen the king is faithful. But secondly, we see kingdom people are actually failures. That's what we're going to see next. We've had the kind of um, the bit of bread that was Peter. Then we've had the filling. And now here comes the slice of Peter on the bottom, if you like, the last bit of bread. Because now it's Peter from verse 66 onwards. Mark comes back to Peter. And if you like, Peter is on trial himself, isn't he? He's um, in a bit of a more comfortable place, though, isn't he? He's by the fire. He's warm. He's comfortable. Jesus said, if you follow him, you've got to take up your cross and deny yourself. Well, great, check. He's done that, right? He's followed Jesus. He's in the courtyard, right? He's the only one. Or has he? Jesus, he faced multiple powerful men in his trial, didn't he? Peter here faces one single servant girl. That is like the lowest status possible in that society. She thinks she's recognized Peter. And Peter, what does he do? He doesn't keep quiet, does he, like Jesus? But not only does he not keep silent like Jesus, he actually lies in verse 68. And again, he lies in verse 70. And then others join in, and then he even calls down curses from God. And immediately, the cock crows. And we read, middle of verse 72. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter has failed totally. He thought he was loyal, didn't he? He thought he could do it. And now he knows he can't. And he has lost all confidence in himself. He, he knows what he is like. But here's the thing. Peter is not the worst follower of Jesus, is he? Peter is the best follower of Jesus. 
He's the best example of a follower of Jesus. And what does the best follower of Jesus do? He fails. And, and that's what we're like, isn't it? Kingdom people are failures. I wonder if you have ever broken down and wept because you know you failed God. That is a kingdom person. Maybe you've actually denied you're a follower of Jesus, like Peter did here, or not spoken up as a follower of Jesus should, maybe at the workplace or something, when people criticize the Bible or criticize Christians or something like that. Maybe it's that. Probably, though, we've all had moments when we see we are not loyal to Jesus, just in the way that we live. Like our thoughts, for example. Lack of self-control with lust or greed or anger or just selfishness. And we realize, actually, I'm just not as loyal to Jesus as I thought I was. I remember when I was first hearing about the Christian faith and I was hearing about Jesus and I wasn't yet a believer. And I remember saying to the, these Christians who were telling me, I remember saying, I cannot be a Christian. I cannot do it. I will mess up. I know I will. And in a big way, that, that's true, isn't it? That's exactly right. Jesus said, if you follow him, you must take up your cross and deny yourself. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus not himself. And that is what we often do, isn't it? That is, that is sin, either kind of overtly by denying Jesus with what we say or just denying Jesus in the way that we live, the way that we think. And yet here's the wonderful thing. This is in the Bible. Why is it in the Bible? How did it get here? We think that um, Peter is actually the source for Mark's gospel, that he's the one telling Mark what to write. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine Peter there with Mark saying, Mark, you've, you've got to put this bit in. Don't, don't leave this bit out. I want them to know how much I failed. Isn't that great? Because then we will know who it is that Jesus died for. The king is faithful. Kingdom people are failures, but wonderfully, the king died in place of failures. We're in um, chapter 15 now, on page 1022, and, and uh, we now see suddenly in Mark's gospel the word king, 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 all over the place. So verse 2, verse 9, verse 18, verse 26, suddenly it's all about Jesus being the king. At what point in Mark's gospel is it all about Jesus being the king? It's when he goes to the cross. That is when we see Jesus as the king that he is. So we're, we're back to Jesus. And it's now his second trial by the Roman governor, Pilate. And the chief priests are there and they accuse Jesus. And Pilate is absolutely amazed that Jesus doesn't kind of plead for his life. Jesus doesn't say anything, in fact. It's amazing. But that's exactly what was always promised by Isaiah about God's suffering, saving king. So have a look on the screen. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. 
get that up there. There we go. Thanks. Uh, it says, he was oppressed and afflicted. This is what Isaiah predicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That was what the suffering king, servant, was going to do. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was being the silent lamb, wasn't he? To be killed. And we're meant to see these next verses as the reason he was willing to do it. They're like a picture of what Jesus was doing. A little picture of you and me. So this man called Barabbas, you can imagine maybe he's, he's filthy and he's, he's shivering in prison. He, he kind of knows his execution is coming. Maybe he's a broken man. Maybe he knows his guilt. He's there with the rebels for murder in, in the uprising. He's a guilty man. Now, Pilate, he really hopes he can, he can release Jesus because Pilate seems to see that Jesus is innocent. But the chief priests, they get the crowd to demand this man, Barabbas, the guilty man. And we read verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Do you see what's going on? Do you see the swap? You can imagine Barabbas's cell door is flung open and light streams in. He's shielding his eyes and he finds his chains are being taken off him. And Barabbas, he, he walks out of the cell door into the corridor and there's a man there. Who is it? It's Jesus. And you can imagine maybe their eyes meet. And the guilty man is going free. And the innocent man is being condemned. And that is why Jesus is doing this. It's a little picture of why he's doing it so that guilty people can go free. And that is exactly what was always promised the suffering servant king would do. Isaiah chapter 53 on the screen we see. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is like that man in the earthquake, crushed. Crushed for our iniquities. Crushed for that boy. Crushed for you. Crushed for me in our place. Taking our death so that we can go free. We can go free from eternal judgment. The judgment we deserve for how we failed God so badly. Peter had, I have, you have. Jesus was crushed for all of that. If you're trusting him, it is wonderful news. And if you feel, if you feel thoroughly ashamed of yourself, this is really good news for you. And it's really good news for me. If, if, if you've not yet come to Jesus and known him being crushed for you, for your sin, so you can go free, come to him, trust in him. He wants you to. That's why he did it. And brothers and sisters, if you've done that, we, we never move beyond this, do we? 
there will be many times when we just see how much we have failed God. Over and over we see that. Maybe today you know that very clearly for yourself. But you know, we never earned this. We never deserved this swap. And you cannot lose what you did not deserve in the first place or earn in the first place. And wonderfully, Peter, he is restored. And in chapter 16, when Jesus rises from the dead and we see the angel speaking, in verse 7, the angel actually says, go and tell the disciples, and Peter, make sure you say to Peter because we're restoring him. He's forgiven. Even Peter, isn't that wonderful? Even you, even me. And, and what do we see of Peter in the future in Acts? Well, through the Holy Spirit, Peter becomes the self-denying follower he should have been. And he starts telling people about Jesus and he goes through all sorts because now he's a forgiven man and he has the Holy Spirit with him. And so are we. We are changed more and more by the Holy Spirit to be those followers of Jesus that we should be more and more. It's a wonderful thing. You know, often I think we can, um, we know about forgiveness, don't we? I know I can be forgiven for what I've done. I get that. But we struggle with the idea that I can be forgiven for who I am. When Jesus looks at you in that prison corridor and he smiles, he knows. He knows your guilt. He knows your shame. And that is why he's there. The king is faithful. Kingdom people are failures. The king died in place of failures. Just as we close, um, I was on this conference this week uh, for church planters uh, who stop people who start churches with the Acts 29 network. And there's a guy there, a pastor called Ray Ortland, um, who's a pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville. And he was telling us how he opens every single one of his services with some amazing words. And he says he often struggles to get the words out because he, he finds it so emotional. He has to kind of pray to God to help him say these words because he knows people's needs and he knows the Savior's massive love. Let's put these words on the screen. They're adapted from um, another church, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. This is what he reads out. He says, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. Jesus welcomes you. Jesus welcomes me. A church for people who don't do church. That, that is kind of all of us really, isn't it? All of us need that. It's us. And the faithful King Jesus, he says, come come into my kingdom. That's why he went through all of that for you. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because Jesus is such a faithful king. 
Thank you so much, Father. He went through all of that for us. Thank you, Father. He did that even though we are such failures. And when we see Peter, we know that we're the same. And Father, it it gives us great grief to know that. And yet we thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that Jesus did all of that to swap places with us, to be crushed for us, for our sin, so that we can go free. We thank you, Father, the kingdom is wide open to each of us because of this, and wide open to those who we know. And so, Father, we pray you'd give us confidence in this as failed followers, and yet knowing our faithful king. And you'd give us confidence to speak this truth to others, knowing how good it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.